there's no limit to what you can build. There is no like industry that this is specific for. If you're a developer and you want to build something, this is a great way to get up and running quickly. Like within 45 seconds, you have uh, the backend ready and you can start the app specific things that you really want to work on. It's interesting to see uh, the innovation that is happening on the front end. Like there's so much innovation in the front end. And now these full stack frameworks, I would say also there's uh, some innovation being done here now in the backend. Hey, this is Brian, and you're listening to Jamstack Radio, a bi-weekly series where we discuss the Jamstack, a new way of building websites and apps that are fast, secure, and simple to work with. Jamstack Radio is brought to you by Heavybit, a program dedicated to helping startups take their developer products to market. For more information, visit heavybit.com. If you're interested in being a guest on the show, or if you'd like to suggest a topic, find us on Twitter at Jamstack Radio. Welcome to another installment of Jamstack Radio. On the line, we got Yuan Eliasson. You want to introduce yourself? Tell us why you're here. Uh, yeah, I'm Yuan from Sweden, living just outside Stockholm on the countryside. Uh, happened to bought a house just before COVID hit, which was uh, pretty good timing. But uh, yeah, other than that, I like uh, sports, um, programming, computer science, math, uh, reading books. So that's sort of uh, what I'm doing. And also, of course, a lot into Jamstack uh, and uh, that whole ecosystem. Excellent. Yeah, I mean, I'm in the Jamstack too. That's why I have the podcast. You actually reached out, and I love when folks, if you want to reach out and join the podcast, be interview about your project, what you're working on, or just have some commentary about the Jamstack in general, uh, hit us up, Jamstack Radio on Twitter. I'm always happy to get new guests. And uh, so, yeah, you reached out directly about a tool I've never heard of, actually, which is called InHost. So, actually, what is InHost and uh, where did it come from? Yeah. So, InHost is a, a company and a project of mine that I've been working on for um, a little bit over a year now. And it actually started a long time ago. When I was in uh, high school, I started learning programming. I like borrowed a book on the library uh, about PHP and MySQL. Uh, back in 2008, roughly. And uh, after that, I spent the next five or so years just building out all the cool things I could imagine. Yeah, and in the last company I was working at, I was rebuilding a CRM system that I had been building in PHP and MySQL previously. Uh, so I, I thought that, okay, now I'm going to build this in the new, uh, like a modern way. I'm going to use uh, React and I need like decoupling the front end with the back end and all the, these things. And, you know, I was looking through... Uh, Everything that was available at the time, um, you know, something called Meteor.js, um, Firebase was available. I could build my own REST or GraphQL backend. Yep. That, of course, took a lot of time. So none of these, you know, uh, options really uh, fit into what I really wanted out of the backend. Uh, and it was actually just a coincidence. I, I was browsing DigitalOcean, you know, was about to spin up a new droplet, and they have a marketplace, and I found... It was something that caught my eye, uh, and it was like a cool Lambda sign together with GraphQL, which happened to be the Hasura logo. So I just uh, spun one of those droplets up uh, with Hasura back in, uh, this was roughly 2018. Okay. And um, you know, 30 minutes after that, my, uh, I was just floored about this piece of software. Uh, it was just amazing. Uh, so for those of, who don't know it, Hasura is a, they have a GraphQL engine that runs on top of Postgres and automatically generate uh, a GraphQL API based on your tables and columns in, in Postgres. Uh, they also have real-time capabilities. So this was sort of the missing piece that I was uh, looking for uh, on the back end. So I just um, thought that, okay, now I can, like I had in the back of my mind, I had the idea of uh, Google Firebase, which have a really good developer experience. 
but um, the tech wasn't good, like a NoSQL database and all these things. So I thought, okay, now I can sort of do that myself. I have a Postgres database, I have the GraphQL API. Uh, I built out authentication and storage myself and open sourced it. So now I have the, from my point of view, a really, really good backend that was you know, modern and had all the, the good things that I wanted. So I just open sourced it. Uh, people starting using the Hasura Backend Plus, which is authentication and storage um, that works well with uh, Hasura. But still, it was you know hard to get started because um, you would need to you know configure Docker and all this yourself. So I thought, okay, I, I will just do like what Google Firebase is doing, but uh, with this stack instead. Uh, and that later became Nhost. Well, discovery of that is like I think very similar to what other folks were looking for. Um, similar. Remind me, how long ago was that when you sort of made that discovery and found Hasura on DigitalOcean? Yeah, this was late 2018. 2018. Okay, and uh, I think yeah. that was actually uh, Hersura was actually on this podcast, uh, episode 35, mm. as well. So if anybody's interested in hearing their product and their story and how they sort of got started, uh, definitely check them out. But yeah, they're doing some great stuff. So I didn't realize uh, I missed a part of Hersura in the documentation on Inhost. So you're combining a couple of different tools. Uh, and getting that easy going for on on like a DigitalOcean droplet. What's the advantage of using something like Inhost rather than doing it yourself? Right. Um, yes, we're using DigitalOcean for our own infrastructure currently, but that is of no concern to our customers. Let's say because we we handled all that. Um, so the advantage is that you just go to Inhost and create a project, and we will spin up all the services. For you, so we will spin up a Postgres database, we will spin up a Hasura instance, we will spin up authentication and storage for you. Uh, so you will just have these services available to you, and you can start building. And you don't need to worry about configuration, servers, security, scalability, sort of the boring stuff. Uh, I would say, yeah. So you can just start using it, uh, just like uh, Firebase. So is it like kind of similar to like Heroku's approach? Because I know DigitalOcean, and we talked about this before we hit record on the podcast. But I, I've I know so many people at DigitalOcean. They've never been on this podcast because I don't really. I usually bring on people who I'm excited about the, about their projects and their work. And DigitalOcean, not that I'm not excited about their product, I think it's a great product. I just never got it as me as a developer. Yep. But I like the way Heroku like has the auto scaling for you. So it sounds like you're bringing some of those features and applying that to DigitalOcean. Is that correct? Exactly, you can say that. And also we're opinionated about the software. Like we're one layer above DigitalOcean. Gotcha. So we sort of made the decisions that, okay, it's going to be a Postgres database. We will configure it with Hasura, uh, authentication and storage. So the underlying infrastructure doesn't matter to our customers. Like we can switch infrastructure whenever we want to. Yeah. Um, so it's not coupled with DigitalOcean, even though I'm a big fan of DigitalOcean. But yeah. Uh, for, for like our customers are mainly front-end engineers who just want to focus on their front-end app and have some kind of UI and uh, management with a database and uh, users and these kind of stuff. Yeah, and I, I think that's really powerful too as well. Like you having the opinions is where that's a selling point to me. Like this is what I would consider in-host for is that I don't want to make a decision on Postgres, MySQL, yep. this flavor, that flavor, Mongo. Like I just want to ship an app and like I know how to get the React components, the view components, whatever it is. I know how to put those on the screen. I know how to do my CSS. That's where I want to spend my time. I don't want to have to spend my time on trying to scale my infrastructure because I showed up on Hacker News. And like that's those are the things that I, I love about things like the Jamstack and things like Inhost that you provide the opinions along with the package. And I, I agree. Like DigitalOcean is like, I don't mind where the stuff is hosted, but I do mind on how much effort I have to do to maintain that stuff. 
Yeah, so that's uh, exactly our philosophy as well. Like uh, our customers, uh, we will give them the package and they can start using it right away. And yes, we're opinionated about the software. So as as we mentioned here, the Postgres with a relational database, the GraphQL API and this kind of stuff. But we also are opinionated about the workflow. So we have like a CLI, so you can do local development. Uh, We have a GitHub integration, so you can just push your database migrations and uh, GraphQL metadata to your repository, and we will automatically deploy it. We're trying to take a lot of inspiration from great services as Netlify and Vercel, but trying to do that for the backend. Yeah, and I love it too as well. And I'm like, I'm taking a look at your offerings too on the page and things like, like you have a starter plan, which is uh, $4 a month. The next tier up, like having database backups as part of your feature set. Another thing that I've had to painfully had to do myself uh, and manage, uh, mainly because that's just how infrastructure at, at my current employer works is you sort of figure it out yourself mm-hmm. or you join an engineering team, which I'm not on an engineering team today. What I'm getting at is like, I love that these are sort of opted in, built in opinions situations that I can sort of have managed with the project. Uh, I'm curious, though, about um, the makeup of the team. Are you working on this yourself, or is this like a full-on startup? Uh, So it's me and my co-founder, Nuno. We've been working on this. Nuno joined a couple of months after I started it, and we've been working on this remotely. So I'm I'm here in Sweden working, um, and uh, Nuno is from Portugal, from the Azores. So he's having a little bit better weather than me. Uh, I'm not jealous at all, but uh, it's just uh, him and me for the moment. Uh, but hopefully we will have some some good announcements soon that will change that. Yeah, excellent. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing some more announcements. Like I'm, I'm hooked just by like, the first 10 minutes of this conversation. So I'm very, very intrigued about what you're all are offering. Uh, I'm curious, uh, let's take a step back into learning more about Sweden. Uh, you said that you're outside of Stockholm. Yep. Were you involved in the developer community, obviously prior to the pandemic? And then curious of how you sort of been situated during the pandemic. Mm. I wouldn't say this is geographically dependent. Like my work life is online, right? So yeah. uh, all my resources are online um, and I'm always building stuff. So I'm always, you know, uh, trying to keep up with what's going on in the developer community. I, I just moved to Stockholm like one and a half year ago. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you were there long enough to uh, sort of understand that there was a scene, but then basically stay inside. Yeah. What happened was actually like we moved here um, and then a couple of, month later, I joined this startup uh, accelerator called Antler. And this is where me and Nuno met, actually. So we met um, early 2020 in this startup generator. Okay, excellent. Yeah, so that that was a big boost. Like we I moved to Stockholm, I got into this startup accelerator, you know, getting into a startup context that was really um, important as well. Okay, was it specifically to work on in-house or for something else? Uh, for me, it was specifically for Enhost, but Antler in general is they bring like 80 people together and then you uh, brainstorm and uh, mingle for a couple of weeks and try to build teams and companies. <laughs> yeah, I, I love that. I love the idea of uh, actually rubbing shoulders on, with other folks. Uh, and it sounds like you, you, I mean, I've done the same. I've got the connections online despite the fact of being based in San Francisco. So much has been sort of forced to be online in the last year. But we've always been online. Like mm. even though we've had meetups, we've had accelerators, we've had connections through conferences. So it's inspirational to hear that you're able to thrive during this past year. So I'm curious to find out uh, learning more about Inhost and try to figure out like what types of projects would you recommend? Sort of start sign up for Inhost and start shipping to it. Right. So any type of app that you want to build, like mobile app, web app. So, so Enos is front-end agnostic, which means you can use any front-end framework like React or Vue or whatever front-end you want to use. 
And since the offering is so general, like it's a Postgres database with a GraphQL, like you decide what tables and you decide the schema and all that. There's no limit to what you can build. There is no like industry that this is specific for. If you're a developer and you want to build something, this is a great way to get up and running quickly. Like within 45 seconds, you have uh, the backend ready and you can start the app specific things that you really want to work on when you're, when you're having an idea in your head, you just want to get it out there as soon as possible. Yeah, and I love the fact that, like you mentioned, we we talked about Hasura a bit, but like they've already figured out some of the scaling things and how to sort of manage the PostgreSQL um, database. Those are again things that, when it comes to me building a new app, because I tend I'm sort of a serial like I will npm init tons of stuff, try things out and try to figure out what frameworks. Okay. Right now, I'm actually spending a lot of time building a lot of Redwood JS applications. It's a newer framework. Uh, it doesn't have a lot of examples, recipes, tutorials out there. But I love the fact that like things like Enhost, I can sort of just slide into that existing situation because uh, I've got the front end decided. But actually, one thing we did, I don't know if you mentioned it, uh, Prisma. Does it hook in well with the Prisma at all? Um, well, so you don't need Prisma, so to speak, if, you, if you're using Enhost. Gotcha. Uh, so instead, we automatically generate, or Hasura's GraphQL engine automatically generate the, the GraphQL API for you. Okay. Uh, and you can extend that GraphQL yeah. API uh, if you want inside the Enhost console. Um, but just a quick mention on, on Redwood. It's interesting that you mentioned it because we, we just, or uh, Nuno, my co-founder, uh, sent in a PR to them a couple of days ago about, so you can actually use Enhost together with Redwood uh, with authentication. And we also added support for subscriptions in the GraphQL APIs. So now you can use real-time together with Redwood. We have a PR opened and um, uh, yeah, we'll see how that goes. That is, that's amazing. I think between Redwood JS and Blitz, I feel like those are the two, like everybody loves Next.js and I, I love Next.js, but I feel like those are the two opinionated frameworks mm. that I don't think they're competing directly with each other. I think they're actually, they're advancing developer love ecosystem, getting stuff solved real quickly. So at this point, like you just need to choose what flavor you're looking for and then you're off to the races pretty quickly. Have you tried both of those frameworks? Like, Do you have an opinion about uh, both of those? Yeah, good question. So I've had both of them on the podcast. I've had um, the founder and creator of Blitz.js and then also had um, Andrew Campolo, who's part of the Redwood team. And I've tried them both. I've built stuff with both of them uh, real quickly. Uh, like Again, I just build stuff, stand it up and see what it looks like. And then I've made the decision to build a project on Redwood JS, mainly because it's deeply coupling with uh, Netlify and all their features. Mm. Uh, and Everybody knows on this podcast that I'm a fan of Netlify. Yeah, so I've tried both of those. I think they're solving different problems mm -hmm. where Redwood kind of gives you the scaffolding piecemeal experience uh, where it definitely does give you some options. A lot of more like with the scaffolding, you can have flags for different options. With Blitz.js, I think there's less options, but a very strong story. Okay. So like when you think about like Blitz.js is very strong, it couples with Next and Vercel. It's a very strong story if those are the things that you're looking to ship mm -hmm. and you're already like uh, you do a lot of marketing sites or perhaps you're just doing a lot of projects, maybe you're at agency and you have the same structure that you just want to ship over and over again. Like Blitz is a, a good choice for that. Interesting. Yeah. I, I have some experience with Redwood JS, but no, no, I haven't tried Blitz uh, yet. But they, they're doing like full stack, right? That's their um, slogan, sort of like full stack. Yeah. So Blitz is, uh, their opinions are stronger uh, when it comes to the full stack. So, like, you are tied into Prisma, you are tied in oh. to Next.js. Uh, and for the extent you're kind of tied into Vercel, because I think a lot of the user documentation stories are Vercel today, but I know they're exploring other deployment use cases as well. But, like, I, I think it's, 
depends on how much tunnel vision you have mm. when you're shipping. Like if you're just trying to get something done and you already have the decisions made, like Blitz is probably the way to go. If you want to experiment with like the Postgres or the MySQL or the Vercel or the AWS, like Redwood is a good solution because you have a lot of the sort of pulleys and levers within the framework. So hopefully I give that justice and explanation. It's interesting to see uh, the innovation that is happening on the front end. Like there's so much innovation in the front end. And now these full stack frameworks, I would say also there's uh, some innovation being done here now in the back end. So it's going to be interesting to see here how everything <laughs> goes down here in, the, in a couple of years. Yeah, yeah. And I, I actually, one of the questions I want to ask you is about the innovation in the back end. Like we're now seeing folks who want to take the Vercel experience and the Netlify experience and apply it specifically to the back end. Because I think Vercel does have a back-end story. I think it's not as strong as a place like probably Inhost, uh, where you do have some des- more decisions made. Uh, Vercel is a little more open waters. But I'm curious of like how you see the competition within this sort of opinionated back-end decisions. Yep. Actually, I'm, I'll leave it at that. I want to hear your thoughts, and then I'll <laughs> add my thoughts to it. There is some overlap between services like uh, Netlify, uh, Vercel, Enhost, uh, and other services. Netlify and Vercel, you know, they started out with the front end and they are sort of moving to the back end with um, serverless functions. And um, I think Netlify have, has an offering about authentication as well. Yeah. Whereas Vercel don't, uh, for example. So I would say 95% of all our customers are using Enos as a back end and either Netlify or Vercel in the front end. These services are very complementary, I would say. So they will do everything that is backend with Enhost and everything that is frontend with either Netlify or Vercel. And and I mean, with Enhost, we have the persistent uh, data store. Like with the, and that one is um, very opinionated, and I don't think Netlify and Vercel want to be that opinionated. I think they want to be sort of broader in their um, offering. I would say. Yeah, I, I think in the in the. Ecosystem, the Jamstack. So you mentioned Netlify and their authentication layer. Like I think that's a nice additional feature to Netlify, but it's by far not their focus. So like when you think of like actual levers and pullers, when you think of authentication, you don't think of Netlify's authentication built in, yeah. like identity widgets and stuff like that. Uh, but you might think of Auth0, you might think of some other solutions or one of the AWS offerings. Yeah. So like with that, in the back end, I think it's quite similar, where I don't think anybody's really as deep when it comes to things like decisions in Postgres and decisions in, in scaling and infrastructure. But I think Vercel and Netlify have some good options that are partners with them. But I, if I had my two cents, I think it's these flavors, uh, these stories, these recipes, whatever you want to call these opinions, I guess. We've been saying opinions. So like these opinions, I think is really where it comes down to. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think developers want to make those opinions. I think the, what developers they want is to pick an opinion that has support in community, has support in documentation, yeah. has support in, in scaling and infrastructure. And I think whoever has all that, those things, I think is going to basically become the leader in the space because I don't think any sort of new bootcamp grad, college graduate is going to be able to be deep on almost anything. Like you just have to be able to be nimble and learn how to solve problems. And the best way to solve problems is by having proven solutions that you bring into your your project. Yeah, I agree with everything. <laughs> I agree with everything you said there, and that's uh, the premise uh, we're building and host on as well. Um, it doesn't make sense for everyone to you know every time go through the same pain to figure out what's what's the best data store and how to configure uh, authentication with the database and the API and all that back and forth. At the end of the day. You just want to build your app uh, and be productive and uh, build something really cool that uh, your users and your customers can uh, find value of. 
And I will say one more thing, maybe about uh, the different services you mentioned, like Auth0 and uh, these services. Like, I'm not really convinced that that's uh, like if you're starting out building, <laughs> this is opinion or this thought about, well, you can just pick and choose. You can use Fauna as a DB, you can use Auth0 here, yeah. and you can use Vercel over here for the front end. And that's good, like in theory. But uh, for me, now you're leaving a lot of responsibility on the developer to, to figure out and configure all these different services to talk to each other. Yep. So this is also where we want to be quite opinionated and have like a very broad service stack for our users as well. Uh, and that is why we're taking such a like, we're not just hosting Postgres or we're not just hosting storage, for example. We try to do all those things and integrate them well with each other. On that point too as well, I love the trend of these backend solutions having opinions around authentication because I think having your authentication tied coupled to your, your data store, I find a better ergonomic experience uh, when I can have different roles and authors and admins directly tied to who can access the data, as opposed to having a third-party tool to be able to filter through, like, ah, this is an admin, this is a role. Now I have to, as you mentioned, have to figure out how to wire these connections together, and then that becomes more of a burden and more of a sort of cognitive load mm -hmm. when it comes to, again, Speaking directly to front-end uh, engineers or perhaps people who might be full-stack but maybe lean towards the front-end, like that's another thing that you have to decide on top of how to configure Tailwinds. Yeah, and I mean, just the fact that, for example, uh, when you create a new user on your Enhost project, that user is in a user's table in Postgres. Yeah. So you just have it there right, right away uh, instead of some other place and you need to sort of um, like shuffling data back and forth and syncing these uh, data stores, for example. That's something I find very useful as well. Excellent. Yeah, so um, sort of rounding up the conversation, I'm curious if you have any sort of insight as we sort of, right before I move to picks, uh, anything that maybe we didn't cover or you want to add to the conversation? No, I think uh, I think we covered it quite well, hopefully. <laughs> well, if we haven't, folks can always reach out to you. Um, you all have a great looking website. You got a contact section as well. Yeah, everybody sign up for InHost and give it a try. I'm looking forward to trying it myself. Yeah, cool. All right, so Johan, uh, we're going to move into picks. These are things that are, we're jamming on, things that sort of keep us going, especially as we're all working from home, building projects. Uh, this could be music, food, just about anything related. So uh, without further ado, let's just jump in. I will go first. I see you do have some picks, but I'm going to jump in and mention, I just got done listening to the latest episode of the Ladybug podcast. I'm just going to say the Ladybug podcast as a pick in general. Uh, you should definitely listen to it. I love that they bring, not only do they have good, great conversations at the three panelists uh, podcast where they have three hosts uh, and they chat through all different topics and subjects and they just want to sort of round the, the horn and talked about like explaining cloud just in general. Like I think it's something no one takes, like I learned about the cloud 10 years ago, but I never took time to actually kind of understand what the cloud is today in the current ecosystem architecture. So they sort of broke it down, and I thought their explanations were really well thought and sort of were able to bring folks who maybe didn't have 10 years of experience and could catch up along for the ride. Um, so they do a really good job of just taking those concepts and actually explaining those, as well as they do have some great guests too as well. Every now and then they'll bring a guest on to be the expert and talk about things. Um, so I just love that for leveling up and catching up with stuff that I wasn't paying attention to in the last year. Uh, and the other thing I want to mention, I had just did a finish up a series, 28 Days of GitHub Actions. So every day I was sending a tweet and I was writing a blog post and I was also doing a video of a new tip on GitHub Actions. And 
definitely check out the the tweet. It's pinned to my Twitter profile, at least for now. I do have a GitHub tips and tricks um, playlist on my YouTube account, too, as well, where you can watch all the videos back-to-back. But what I wanted to mention that for is because I was able to take a constraint, which is two minutes for any subject for GitHub Actions, and then... Every morning, I would just like sort of like a code kata or sort of um, like drinking tea, making coffee. I would just write a blog post about a, the subject of a tip that I had. And I, I planned out the tips like a month in advance. So I wrote the list of what I would do, did a video every day, shipped the video just like clockwork, shipped the blog post, uh, shipped the tweet, and then moved on with the rest of the day. And I felt like for the first time in probably a couple of years, I felt like I, w- I was in the sort of Zen zone of just building stuff. Mm. And I would just take projects and add a new tip. Most of the examples, I had projects already that were using actions. So the way I planned it is I would use real life examples. I said I mostly use real life examples. Uh, some of the later videos, I had to make it up because they got past to where my skill level was. So I had to create some new applications so I can build concepts of the videos without breaking my current builds because I, I did do that a couple times when I was testing out a feature. Um, but anyway, I mentioned that because I just encourage anybody who wants to write content or create something, just have a plan and keep constraints to it because I think that's why I shipped every day is because I had to limit it to two minutes and I had to limit it to one new feature within GitHub Actions. So with that, any thoughts? <laughs> um, do you want to tease something about the GitHub Action? Like any one particular that um, you want to mention that's interesting? Yeah, I think one of the, the more popular ones uh, was actually a former guest on this podcast, uh, Ben Schwartz. Uh, he is the founder of Caliber, which is a, a web metrics uh, performance tool. And he built a GitHub action to compress images at the time of build. Mm. So one thing that I do all the time is I, up, I have a blog and I'll just upload images to my GitHub repo and then ship the blog and then move on. But never think of like, hey, should I make sure the image is scalable and like compresses in the proper situations? So take away like what Next does and what Gatsby does with the image compression, but instead give them the right size image to start with. So rather than like a 10 megabyte image, give them like a one megabit image so that the way it can scale is press. Because you're just there's way too much overhead. So when you think about import performance, uh, this one GitHub action enables it by default at the time I open up a PR. I see the uh, comment in my GitHub repo tells me how much compression happens, and it's like a, a great little thing. Uh, so for whatever reason, that example was like one of my most popular blog posts this month. I did have some other blog posts around automating release notes and doing Simver with GitHub Actions. That one also did pretty well. Nice, nice. Like compressing images and, and stuff like this. That's an interesting problem. We actually just released image transformation at end of storage, so you can now you know transform images on the fly. Nice uh, with different width and heights and quality. Yep. Um, there are some really good libs there to. <laughs> help you do that so that's cool excellent do you have any picks for the listeners yeah um so i love reading books uh so i have uh, two books that i want to recommend so the first one is deep work and the second one is digital minimalism i think it's the same author uh, but these two books are really good um if you want to read about like if you are concerned about your focus and uh, just the distraction that exists in in a modern life uh, so I, I really recommend these two books. Really good books. And the third book I would recommend is, um, I think it's called Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins. I don't know if you uh, come across this. No, I haven't heard of that. I've heard of Deep Work, and I've not heard of Digital Minimalism. So those are two new books for me. Yeah. So the third one is not on the same topic. It's uh, David Goggins. I think it's called uh, Can't Hurt Me. Uh, and David Goggins is just a, a very interesting person. Like he, He's really cool. Um, he talks about 
his life, his journey. He, he, let's say he didn't do as much when he was younger and then he became a SEAL and, you know, ran these crazy uh, ultra marathons. Just an amazing story. Uh, really recommend. Excellent. And um, like one other pick uh, that I started to use uh, or read about recently is uh, mental models and just general mental models uh, about anything in life that can sort of simplify um, your understanding of the world. And I will just take one example. So, for example... Uh, the map is not the terrain, for example. Yeah, that's just one example. But you can use that in so many ways in, in life to sort of yeah, make better decisions and understand the world better. Excellent. Yeah, um, I'm looking forward to checking those out. I have really recently gotten into minimalism uh, and sort of thinking about what is needed. Actually, I, I did have a follow-up question on that that book. Okay. Is it about like basically deleting folders off your desktop? Because <laughs> that's what I need. I need help with that. <laughs> Yeah, it's. Um, I think it would, it's more about uh, removing distractions in forms of notifications and gotcha. just unconscious stuff, uh, social media, um, checking emails too often, these kind of stuff. And, but probably, I mean, if you all the time go to your desktop and you see this uh, folder or directory that triggers something inside of you, maybe maybe you should move it or delete it. Yeah. Okay. Excellent. I think I might already be halfway there because I don't do notifications on my phone, hmm. mainly because it's just always going to be a distraction. So I do turn off notifications on things like, actually, I don't have email on my phone hmm. just to make it easier for me to sort of disconnect from the. Sounds you like you're a follower already. So sounds good. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I got to pick up the book now. Yeah. But, uh, Johan, thank you very much for talking about InHost. I'm super excited about this space and super excited about this sort of evolution and these opinions. Uh, and I hope that the listeners will give InHost a chance and try it out and uh, definitely report back and let you know what they think. Awesome. And, uh, listeners, keep spreading the jam. That's all the time we have for today. If you're interested in being a guest on the show or if you'd like to suggest a topic, find us on Twitter at Jamstack Radio. To learn more about Heavybit, visit heavybit.com. And while you're there, check out their library. It's packed with amazing talks on sales, marketing, product, and general management from founders of developer tools companies and other industry leaders. 